The highlight is a student-ran podcast under the direction of the Global Health Cooperative, a student organization at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the highlight does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. Please note that the opinions and viewpoints expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of North Carolina State University or any of its affiliates. My name is Osvaldo Rodriguez, and you are listening to The Highlight, a global health cooperative podcast by students from NC State. In our last episode, we had the chance to speak with NC State students of the STEM Journal Club, discussing how they made the transition into a primarily virtual platform in response to closures due to COVID-19. At first, we intended on doing a follow-up episode featuring Chris and Woody of Trophy Brewery. However, as many of our audience is already aware, several changes have occurred on campus that mirror the issues that caused the creation of the STEM Journal Club and inspired community action by trophy brewing in the first place. It hasn't been an easy last few days for anyone, even if they have already been off campus and entirely virtual since the start of the semester. I myself am an undergraduate senior at NC State, majoring in biological sciences. As a non-traditional student, I started the year as being gainfully employed as a professional bartender while going to school full-time and focusing on my career. The restaurant industry in downtown Raleigh is huge, and the local brewing industry in North Carolina generates a $2.5 billion economic impact. For someone like me, that meant getting the chance to work with great friends, having the flexibility that I enjoyed, and still being able to do research and be a Wolfpack student. And then everything just stopped. Now, I'll let you know right now that everyone at my bar saw the writings on the wall. It felt as if we knew the inevitable was about to come while everyone else insisted things would remain the same. The worst part about it all was that there was no way to make preemptive decisions. We just had to wait. All of us, even the owners. (sighs) Closed too early, and we all missed out on revenue. Closed down too late, well didn't matter if you waited till the last moment because after Governor Roy Cooper issued a statewide shutdown, all restaurants and bars had to close. It was heartbreaking. One moment I was in complete control of everything and then the next, I had to figure out how to tell my 10-year-old daughter that we were all going to be doing things from home and dad was no longer employed. See, I'm a father of a 10-year-old as well. Unfortunately, as a father, there is no extended weekend when things go bad. There's no board of directors to get upset with or an option to withdraw from fatherhood for credit hour course. You have to keep trucking on. And this was true for so many of my friends in the restaurant industry. According to Sugata Mukherjee of Triangle Business Journal, the Triangle restaurant and hospitality sector employed more than 75,000 workers in full-service restaurants and hotels, generating $3 million in wages daily. This wage income was all lost the moment that Raleigh shut down. Worse, several restaurants and bars have already found themselves having to permanently close. 
Today, on Glenwood Avenue, you can still see many restaurants have found ways to open back up and offer their services to the public within the state's requirements for keeping everyone safe. However, the scaled back level of operations has meant that many are still going without gainful employment or having to take on new jobs in different industries. Restaurant work, whether as a bartender, waiter, or chef, has many different levels of skill. For some, years and years of experience and training have specialized them into delivering service at remarkable levels. It's not easy to jump from one industry to another when you've made a decent livelihood and trade in one kind of industry. For the owners of Trophy Brewery, they knew this would be a huge obstacle to overcome for many service industry employees. As soon as the restaurants were forced to shut down, Chris and Woody put plans into motion to help out in one way they knew best, getting good food into the hands of those who would appreciate it the most. Through the 2020 summer, Trophy Brewing would extend their hand into the community and help to address food insecurity caused as a result of COVID-19. I took the time to interview them early August and learn as much as I could about their work, what they learned, and what it would mean for students and faculty who would want to engage in public outreach within their own organizations. But when things started turning south for a second time at NC State, I was worried that the interview wouldn't be as relevant now, that maybe a new story should be brought to the forefront. Between black lives constantly being threatened by an unjust police system, mismanagement of a global health crisis by government officials, voter rights being placed into jeopardy, and at-risk students on campus having to focus on dealing with the consequences of yet another sudden school closure, how could this story help at all? Well, I listened through the interview again and realized that as Chris and Woody told their story, what we see is a powerful response to all the messed up things that happen in this world. People in our community doing what they can, pushing forward to help one another in the best way that they know how. I hope that wherever you may find yourself, that this interview can bring additional hope to your day. No matter how difficult or out of reach things may seem now, there is always a way to still engage with others and pull each other up. So here's my interview. I hope you enjoy. Well, uh, today we have with us uh, Chris Powers and Woody Lockwood from Trophy uh, Brewing here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, why don't you guys go ahead and just briefly introduce yourselves and, and your, your business here? Sure. Um, I'll start. My name is Chris Powers. I'm a co-owner here at Trophy Brewing Company in the state of beer. Uh, we have four locations in, in downtown Raleigh and uh, our most of them, actually all of them, are, are, our focus is on craft beer, the process of making craft beer and educating people on craft beer. Um, and we've been in business since 2009. Wow, awesome. Since 2009, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a lot of time. And uh, so I was doing a little bit of research on the impact that brewing has had to the North Carolina economy. Um, mm -hmm. An article by Laura Leslie, she pointed out or they pointed out that, uh, you know, beer sales generate about $836.6 million of taxes across the state. Um, and mm -hmm. even employs up to uh, over 60,000 people within the state. Um, uh, how have you seen uh, this sort of be, uh, you know, how have you contributed to this? Or how do you feel that you've been able to contribute to these kinds of numbers? And, and how has COVID sort of started biting into that? Um, I mean, we, we put a lot of thought into all of our spaces. Um, you know, we like to, to provide a great experience. We don't just sort of throw a bar in a room and uh, a draft system. You know, we, we like to invest in a long-term place that makes people feel comfortable. So, um, 
you know, at each of our locations, we've tried to do that. So when this, this virus hit, it was immediate, you know, those, uh, um, sorry about that. Those you know, draft sales are our best margins, um, you know, that we can do. And of course, selling food along with that is a, a big help as well. So, you know, it was an immediate halt. It was, you know, sales went um, to nothing immediately. We had to quickly figure out a way to, to pivot and to be able to do to go. And um, so many of our wholesale customers closed as well. So, um, you know, we were pretty terrified at first. Um, luckily, you know, the bigger stores sort of made up for the smaller stores. Not that we're happy that the smaller stores weren't doing well in those first few weeks, but, uh, you know, it helped keep, keep us afloat. People were trying to make all of their purchases at one place, you know, get their groceries, get their beer, and not have to be exposed to, to lots of other places. So, um, right. It was, it was pretty terrifying those first few weeks. Chris and I uh, were <laughs> talking to each other, trying to look for positives each day. That's understandable. <laughs> and, and I imagine there, there are a lot of other uh, business owners in there feeling very similar to you. However, y'all have had a really unique history. Um, I've, you know, full disclosure to the audience, I've worked for y'all, uh, or I'd worked for y'all for about uh, two years. And, um, you know, I'd always been impressed by the uh, connection that you've had with the community. Uh, so, you know, you've had a history of working to promote uh, community well-being in, in many different ways. Uh, one campaign was uh, focused on public transportation and increasing awareness and accessibility to public transportation. Um, what's inspired you uh, as a business to sort of um, maintain these types of uh, connections to the community? Well, you know, we want to be a part of the community. We consider our neighbors and our friends and the people that come into our restaurants and our breweries um, friends and want to get to know them better and how we can help. Um, we often think about how is the best way we can make a difference. Um, you know, at a tap and table, we were constantly rolling with a, a craft tap where we would donate a, a dollar from every single one of those beers to one of the smaller charities that we believed in their mission. Um, and what we're thinking about, how do we make a bigger impact, make a difference for people who need it the most? Because a dollar to people, uh, you know, a CEO at Red Hat is not as the same as a dollar is to a person that's working a minimum wage job downtown. So what we wanted to do was kind of make a difference for those people that needed it most. And that's where that, the, the thought process came um, for the free public transit uh, came from. Because, you know, if we could save people $8 a day, riding the bus to and from work, that's a big deal. That's, you know, $50, $60 a week, and that's, you know, 52 weeks a year, and that's, it really starts to add up. Um, it also kind of bleeds into some of the, our other philosophies of how, how do we help our friends and neighbors have access to voting? Because if we were to help people uh, get access to go to those, the, the polls when they need to go out and vote, we take the dollars that spending that money off the table, people are way more likely to go out and actually let their voice be heard and make and, and cast their vote. Yeah, I think in a more general sense, you know, when we first first opened the doors, we were scared to uh, to share our views, you know, being a restaurant or bar, you you know, you want to welcome everyone and hope, you know, <laughs> everyone and anyone will come in. Um, but, you know, not not trying to get too political about it, but, you know, it, it, as the years, more recent years, it just felt like, we had to speak up that, you know, we have a stage where um, it's not about being political to us. It's about helping people and, uh, you know, the causes that, that help them. So, um, you know, we feel obligated to be speaking instead of scared. 
at this point. Yeah. Wow, amazing. So, you know, that obviously, you know, you've been carrying that kind of work ethic um, and, and that relationship with your community. And, um, you know, that's obviously helped contribute to some of your success, I would say. Um, but then May 17th comes along and as documented by Leah Toss of the Indie Week, um, you know, bars were ordered to be shut down, bars and restaurants. Um, and a lot of people quickly found themselves out of work. Um, according to Leah Toss, I believe, uh, Trophy, you know, lost about 75 people or had to take off about 75 people, as is true for a lot of other restaurants across the state. Um, and so soon after that shutdown, your team sort of went into, I guess, uh, productivity mode and trying to find ways to help others. Uh, you partnered along with Cisco Foods and you set up a program to distribute uh, food to uh, service industry employees. Uh, how were you able to organize that kind of program? Uh, what were the motivations for, for doing such a thing? Yeah, so the uh, idea for the program was actually came from an inspiration from our friends at Pale Fire Brewing in Virginia. Um, we have great relationship with breweries across, across the East Coast, and um, they were looking for someone in North Carolina to kind of head up the program, especially in the Raleigh-Durham and Chapel Hill area. So they reached out and said, hey, listen, this is the program that we started. Um, we think that this would be great. You know, are you guys interested in doing this? We had already started a staff meal program. We were already doing produce boxes and um, tr trying to find interesting and new ways to kind of support our staff that had been furloughed. And then they reached out and said, hey, listen, we, you know, we've heard about your program. We know what you're doing. We want to see if you want to apply that on a bigger scale and just have that as just members of the service industry in general. Uh, so what we did was we worked with our friends at Cisco and uh, our friends at Bridge the Gap Mission. Um, which is a local nonprofit um, who to kind of help make those connect the dots for us. Um, so what we did is we kind of, we changed our beer cooler here over on Maywood since we were not having any more draft beer, not selling any draft beer to go, took all those kegs out of there. And we started using that as a storage cooler for all this food and produce that was coming in from local farmers, from Cisco Foods um, to be repackaged and distributed amongst people that were in need. Um, so through the duration of that time, we, uh, we, gave out about, uh, sorry, about 700 boxes of food um, to people in need. Uh, the variety changed every single week. Our taproom manager, Oliver Koch, was actually coordinating a lot of the on-site uh, pickups. Um, but we were, we kind of put the word out to all of our friends in the service industry, started a Facebook page uh, and an Instagram page for it. It's called Trophy Helps. Um, and we would post um, probably about every week to let people know the items that we had, when they could come pick it up. Um, the protocols for picking it up because we wanted to make sure that we were maintaining everybody's safety, the safety of our staff, as well as the safety of the folks coming up. So we were doing a zero contact pickup, just like we would do with our to-go food or to-go beer. Um, we ran that program for as long as Cisco um, was in, could possibly keep it sustainable. Um, and uh, the program has ended just about in the last week or two. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. That's what the, uh, the pay it forward program um, you know, it was actually 102 people that we had to furlough uh, when that all went down. And uh, so we offered a free meal to all staff members each day. So a large pizza or a sandwich, a state of beer. Um, and to 105 people. <laughs> 102 people. It's crazy. Uh, and I know we, people probably toggle back and forth between pizza, but I know a lot of people can eat pizza almost every day. 
yeah, I, I can tell you right now, you, you know, anybody, anybody who's had your pizza or has had any of your food could probably want to eat that every day. That it's awesome. pretty, pretty fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Uh, no worries. No worries. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, that's amazing. But I imagine there may have been a couple of obstacles or learning curves that you've uh, faced um, in public health uh, programs, oftentimes, uh, good intentions can sometimes uh, go awry or if they're not organized correctly or if there's inexperience by certain actors, they may not necessarily be as effective. What uh, strategies did you employ or, or what kind of learning curves did you have to overcome in order to address some of these needs that you wanted to target? Um, <clears throat> I think one of, the, one of the things we had to overcome was kind of people being uh, were nervous to come and take advantage of the meals. They would say, you know, I don't really need it yet. Or maybe they would be embarrassed, too embarrassed to take advantage of that program. Um, like what he was mentioning with our pay it forward program, um, we had so many people that wanted to help because they reached out and said, hey, listen, how do we get involved? How do we support people in our community, first responders, people in the service industry um, that need help right now? How do we try to take care of it? So we wanted to figure out the best way to take those dollars that they're offering and put them in the right hands. Um, because, you know, certain people, everyone wanted to help out nurses one week. So we had, we we're trying to coordinate a pizza delivery and then, then, you know, these nurses stations would say, you know, we have lunch covered for the next three days. Can we do this in the next day? And, and really try to become a, a, a figure out coordination. That was a big learning curve for us. Oh, fantastic. So yeah. Financially, it was certainly tough for us to do every, everything we wanted to do, you know, with our sales being slashed by having, you know, no on-site sales. So yeah, those people, our alarm company, Sonatrol stepped up and donated money, you know, random, just people gave us, you know, wanted to sponsor certain things. We're sending $500 here and another, you know, just yeah. companies coming out of the woodwork um, helping us to do those things, so that was huge. Also neighbors on our neighbors would just go on our website and say, you, you can buy somebody a pizza. You just go to the website, add it to your tab, and the next person that needs a pizza can just come back and get it. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do and, and be fairly anonymous about it. Yeah. Um, making sure the pizza gets in the right hands is another thing. The, Absolutely. The program Chris was running, you know, Chris really did all the legwork on the, uh, on the Trophy Helps program, but you know, the food Cisco was donating wasn't always like everything you need for, you know, grocery wise. So Chris was going to the farmer's market or the grocery store or wherever he could go to sort of round that out. And, you know, we couldn't just give people like a thing of hot dogs. And that's right. So by carrying out this program, you know, what, what lessons have you learned about food insecurity? Maybe, uh, things that you may have not known before or, or preconceptions that you had going into the, you know, starting this program or even before COVID um, and had those ideas either uprooted or, or changed or, or solidified as a result of, of this experience. Mm -hmm. And to follow up that question, um, anyone who is an NC State student, grad student or faculty member who's, who's uh, you know, focus on global health um, and public health um, and they want to make a career out of this um, or they simply just want to start a business in agriculture. Uh, how do you impart these values or what kind of values you find that people should, you know, consider taking into their everyday life and, and what benefits could they take away from that? I know those are two big questions. But. Yeah, they're big. <laughs> <laughs> 
one thing I learned, I think, would be that there is a massive population of people that are very close to being food insecure. Um, and being out of work for one week is one thing, but being out of work for two weeks is when it really starts to, to hurt. Um, we also learned a lot about people that we take for granted that, you know, that they're able to get on the internet to start their federal paperwork or for unemployment, and they are have access to the internet and be able to um, work with someone to get their paperwork updated so that they are receiving funds that they need. Um, we learned a lot that people are sometimes too, uh, a little bit wary of coming to pick up something that we're giving away for free just based on perception. Um, and I think keep being a little bit more aware, I think that's something that I learned as well as being aware of um, how expensive it is to be poor or people that are food insecure, how hard it is um, to have access to good food, to good, good food on a regular basis to, for not just sustenance, but for, I mean, for, sus, for sustenance, but also for uh, quality of life. I'm not sure if I answered your both questions. Oh, I think I got no, 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 that's, okay. that's great. That's great. And, okay. and yeah, you know, any values that, um, you know, you think NC State students in public health need to consider or anybody really who is going to start their own business, why should they, you know, take on, you know, these sort of public acts and, and, and maintain this type of uh, awareness and interaction with the community? I mean, well, what I was going to add to that last question was the, uh, the big reminder we got was about, you know, local food. Um, you know, a lot of channels dried up really quickly and we, we heard yeah. a lot of our, uh, you know, our neighbor, neighboring restaurants having trouble finding things and, um, you know, the, the more places we've opened up and the little bit further we get away from, you know, the ordering process and, and all that. Um, you know, really, this really brought us back together and the importance of our local farmers and making sure we're, we're supporting our neighbors. Um, and the food quality is so much better and things, <laughs> you know, refrigerated truck traveling around the country and sitting in a warehouse, with, you know, refrigerated. Um, so that was a huge reminder. We met, you know, a bunch of farmers over the past few months um, and realized how important it is to, to support them and, uh, and, the great things that are all around us. You know, we're fortunate to live in such a great place and mm -hmm. have those things available. So it's uh, really made Chris and I talk a lot about doubling, you know, doubling down on, uh, you know, making sure we're buying as much local as possible. Um, so that that was huge for us over, over this. Um, yeah. No, that doesn't answer the, the last yeah. question. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. <laughs> I think, well, um, I think students starting their own business or thinking about um, people in public and public health. I mean, there is, they probably have a little bit of a wider view on like population around them. Um, but just, I know myself as a, as a, as a small business owner, keeping my eyes open and kind of soft to what's happening around me. And like a lot of things that I take for granted on a daily basis, a lot of people don't have access to. Um, we as a company have made a promise to do a little bit more with small business mentorship it was always been something that we've thought about and been important to us. Um, but we need to make sure that we are um, doing more because uh, if we improve one person's life and show them that we can help and that there are people out there that are interested in helping, then that kind of becomes part of the train. You know, somebody goes out there, they said, you know, I was helped. I need to pay that back or I need to pay it forward. I need to do something for somebody else who's struggling or 
maybe just open the door, come inside, see what we're doing. This is how we do it. We make a lot of mistakes. We're happy to share those things and be a little bit more open with people about the mistakes we've made and how we've grown and um, recommendations for how people can get started themselves. All right. Well, it has been wonderful talking with you. Again, we've been talking with uh, Chris uh, and Woody of Trophy Brewing here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, if you are of age and on the NC State campus, please feel free to come visit them. They, they make wonderful craft beers and, and as you can see, really wonderful people to speak with. Uh, so guys, thank you so much for your time. Uh, hopefully we can catch up with you again in the future and uh, best of luck to you in the following months, okay? Thanks so much. Thanks, Oz. Thank you. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed this interview. We'll be dropping our third episode September the 14th, without delay this time. In the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful next two weeks, and we'll see you then. This has been The Highlight.